everybody celebrating their freedom? <laughs> we went out to a Freedom Fest uh, in, at Fort Rucker, and it, we go out every year, and it is a blast every single, every single time we go. Last year, we took our nephews out. They got to watch the, uh, the Army guys parachute in and all the, the fireworks and all the stuff. Man, we just love it. So I would, I would say, enjoy your freedom. That's you know, the whole point behind why people have fought. Um, we got a lot of veterans in here. Um, the whole reason we fought, the whole reason we served, the whole reason people uh, paid the, that biggest sacrifice was so that you and I could enjoy the freedoms that we were promised. That we, I mean, again, we, I've been studying the uh, Constitution, uh, auditing a course about the Constitution and Declaration of Independence and just getting back to the Founding Fathers' principles and all those things. I mean, every time I do that, first I get mad, right? <laughs> I see how far away we've, we've gotten from the Founding Fathers' intentions. But then I just celebrate and think, man, 200, almost 250 years ago, like Karen was saying in the opening, they had a vision for a nation that is just, I mean, it's never been done in all of time, and, and it's never been done better since. I'm just, I've traveled all over the world, and I think America has its challenges, its problems. Uh, you know, we got crazy uncles in the basement. Let's just be honest about that. But I, but I love America, and I love, I love being a patriot. I love all those things. I don't want to get caught up in that the flag is bigger than Jesus. That's never going to be our heart because he's eternal, and this nation is at some point going to fade away. But Jesus is eternal, and Jesus came to bring us freedom. And there's something in the nation, there was something about the tyranny of, of a king who would, who would not allow the grievances to be borne by the people, who, who pushed back on all the freedoms, and they would take people who were, you know, were, uh, who were accused of crimes and take them away from the people where they could be you know, tried by, by uh, their peers and take them to England, and you know, I mean, all crazy stuff. And so the Declaration of Independence, if you read it, is like a third of it is the grievance against the king. This is what is happening. This is what the enemy is doing to try to take away our freedom. And this is why it's worth giving everything we have, everything we own. We, we pledge our fortunes, the Declaration of Independence said. We pledge all of that for something that is greater than anything else on this earth. That government cannot give us freedom. It is something that God gave us by nature. It's something that God gave us that we have that no one can take it away unless we allow it to be taken away. And so we, I want to talk this morning just a simple message. It won't take very long so we can get you to a barbecue or wherever you're going or taking a nap because maybe you've already been to too many barbecues. I don't know. But I want to preach a message called Living in Freedom. And really what I want to talk about is what does it look like as a believer to walk in the freedom that Jesus paid such a high price to give us? So often I've seen, I've watched this, I've been, in, I've been around for 30-something years doing ministry, and I remember even myself, I lived for so long after becoming a believer in this low-grade fever of guilt, shame, and condemnation. I could just never get out from under it. I would do really well, I would read my Bible, I'd be praying, I'm attending service regularly, I'm giving generously, I'm doing all those things, and then I would, I would screw up and sin, because you know, I got saved when I was 20, and I was pretty ignorant back then. I mean, I'm, I'm ignorant now too, but I was really bad back then. And, and I would do something stupid and, you know, I just felt like all of the favor that I had built up and given God and, and you know, promised him all these things would just be taken away in a moment. And I would just feel, um, this is a southern phrase, but like a toe rag. Anybody ever feel like a toe rag? I don't even know what that is, but I felt like that so many times. And religion would just press me down. And I would come back and I would, you know, wouldn't do well. I'd turn my face away from God because I'm sure he was angry with me. And I would just, I would, I would dive into the word again and I would pray and I would go to church and I would give generously and I would build up that favor again, build up my credits with, with God, right? And, and then it, sure enough, something would happen and it would be taken away. 
I don't know if that's something that you've ever lived with, or maybe you're not even a believer this morning, and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm enjoying my sin. Well, good luck with that, because at some point, your sin is going you to, you think you're ruling your sin, but at some point, your sin is going to rule you. But here's what would happen for me. I would just feel bad, because I couldn't, I could not fulfill the law. And then somewhere along the line, I discovered I was never supposed to. And the law was actually doing the work that it was designed to do, which was to make me feel and make me understand that I had a need for a Savior, that there was no possibility that I could actually do anything, build up enough credits to get God to love me, to get God to pour his favor out on me. And I discovered that he had already done that through his son Jesus, that his heart and his passion throughout all of time, before the law was given, the Bible says the foundation of time, before the foundation of time, the lamb was slain. He saw the need that I was going to have, and he met it before I ever even had a need. That's a sermon series all in itself, amen? So let me just start off with a, a quick story. When I was 16 years old, I was, uh, I was a martial artist, and I actually was a black belt by that time, actually a fifth-degree black belt by that time, and I owned a school um, in my hometown, and we had, I forget how many students now, I was making so much money at 16 years old, I was literally looking at buying a Corvette uh, and paying cash for it. That's how much money I was making. So I'm obviously in the wrong business, I need to get back into that. <laughs> but I was, I was doing really, really well, and I was young, and I was athletic, and I was, you know, I was administrative, and so I, I, it was just so much fun. I, had, I think I had five or six black belts by that time who were teaching underneath me, and so we had uh, you know, hundreds of students that would come in every week, uh, from kids to, you know, to seniors all the way through, and it was, just, it was a really exciting time. I was competing in tournaments, all this kind of stuff, and I was, on the, I was at the top of my game, and I remember one of my black belts who was a little bit arrogant. He was older than me. I was, you know, I was 16. He was like 18. He was a senior in high school. And, uh, and so he was really good, too. And one night he challenged me. He said, and, you know, the, the old adage was, if you can beat the master, then you get to take over the school, right? That's kind of, like, that wasn't going to happen. There's too much money involved. But, you know, it was a nice thought on his, on his behalf. So he challenges me to a full contact uh, sparring match. And so all that is is you put on, you know, you put on gloves, um, you put on chest piece, you put on, um, you know, you protect all the pertinent parts, and then you got, you got boots that the bottom is, is open, but the top is cushion, right? And so we square off again. It's late at night. All the students have gone home. We square off, and uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, I'm devious, or I used to be before I found Jesus. <clears throat> um, I think about things a lot, sometimes way too much. And so I, I, I thought, okay, there's a chance, because he was really good, there's a chance that he could get in some lucky blows and he could beat me, and I can't, that can't possibly happen. So I was taught in martial arts, there is no such thing as a fair fight. Now in sparring, that's not true, because, you know, otherwise you hurt people. And so I was taught, you win at all costs. Winning is everything, doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you win. So in my head, I was thinking, how can I win this match? Be 100% be sure to win this match. And I, I remembered that um, he had braces. <laughs> like I said, I was devious. <laughs> so first thing, we, we, we uh, square off, and I did a spinning round kick into his face as hard as I possibly could and hit his lips, and, of course, his lips hit his braces and pretty much um, lacerated just about everything that was there, and he just immediately, blood was going everywhere, and so Thankfully, he didn't have to have stitches, um, but I didn't care. I was, I'm just being honest. I didn't care. My heart was, I'm going to win this, and I don't care what it costs this guy if I do. Now, I don't know if you know this. That's not right. 
And you'll be thankful that I have changed a little bit since then. Okay, that was a long, long time ago. But it, it, it's not right. I did that, and to this day, I think about that and go, that, I mean, pride and arrogance and all the things that, were, that caused me to do that to that guy. Now, don't, he wasn't innocent by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm just saying that that was wrong, and I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway because I was ambitious and all those other things. And I think back and I go, man, that's, what's so bad is that's not the worst thing I've ever done, <laughs> right? And I'll bet that's true of you too. I bet you've done some things that you absolutely regret. I bet you've, you've done some things, you've got caught up some, in some things, like I said before, you started into sin, and sin was enjoyable. The Bible says sin is enjoyable for a season, but the end of it, there's an end that comes, and the end is death. Death to relationships, you know, death to, to your finances, death to your health, death to all those things, and ultimately, if you stay in sin long enough, and sin defines you, then what happens is it's spiritual death, and that's what the Bible speaks to. And that's why people go, that's why, you know, the enemy comes to Adam and he says, you know, if, if you do this, if you eat of this tree that God said you shouldn't eat of it, then all the things that God promised you that he's never given you, you're going to get it if, by disobeying him. And so he, he, he asked the question, did God really say? And the enemy's been doing that ever since. Can you have, can you really have a relationship without having sex before marriage? Of course, the culture says, of course you can't, right? You, you have to have, I mean, how are you going to know? How are you going to know if, if, if you're compatible if you don't have sex before marriage? And I love it when people ask me that question. I'm like, you're compatible. It's, you're physically, it's, you're going to be fine. I promise. You're compatible. God made sure that you're going to be compatible. The challenge is we do those things because culture says you're missing out. You're missing out on all this other stuff. The same thing if you got, you got to make enough money. You know, last, last week Tyler preached an amazing mes- message about unhurrying your life. And I, and I found myself all week long, you know, I would get in the line, and, and, and I know you guys did this too, on the road, and the line over here is shorter than this over here, and I would get over there, and sure enough, that other line would move, and, and I could just hear Tyler's voice go, I told you, Dave, you know, just calm down, slow down, right? But every one of us have done things that we regret. Every one of us have done things, maybe you've got a past that you don't like to talk about. Um, I love it when somebody comes and talks, you know, counsels with Karen, and they look at her and go, I just don't think you'd understand what I'm going through. <laughs> Karen just laughs. <laughs> She's like, listen, um, when you look up dysfunctional family in the, in, in the uh, dictionary, it's a picture of my, it's a family portrait of my family. That's, what, that's how bad hers was. And mine, mine was probably just as bad in different ways. We have all done things that we regret. And there's this amazing scripture. David said it this way. It, it says in Psalm 38.4, he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And so what happens is when you've done those things, when you've made those mistakes, when you sin those juicy sins, then guilt and shame begin to pour, it just begins to pour over you. But here's the thing. Guilt and shame were never meant to define you. They were never meant to say, this is who you are. They were meant to drive you to repentance, to think a different way. That was the whole point of the law, to show you that you could not, in, in anything that you tried, in your own effort, you could not live up to the standard because the standard was perfection. God says, he's just showing us, you can't do this without me. You were made for me, and, I was, and, and I'm here for you. I, you cannot exist, you cannot be healthy, you cannot be who you're supposed to be outside of a relationship with me. And so we discover that through the law. But here's what happens. We miss the mark, and missing the mark, that's the, the definition, the literal definition of sin, is there is a mark. This is God's intention in relationship. This is God's intention in finance. This is God's intention in community and all the things that we enjoy. And so often, we veer off and miss the mark because something inside of us says, you're missing something, the fear of missing out, FOMO. Or over here, she's like, I, I think I know better. 
And we end up getting ourselves into trouble and then living in regret and living in shame. And see, even if we find forgiveness, we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, that, that's, not who, that's, not, that's not me. Will you forgive me? And the Lord said, I've, I've already forgiven you. When, when my son died on the cross, that was forgiveness personified. It is available to anyone who would ask and lean into the favor of the Lord. It's available. But so often, let's be honest, we don't forgive ourselves, do we? So we just keep living in that guilt and that shame and that condemnation. And if we're honest, when, God, when we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord like we were this morning, we look back at our past, especially this last week or the week before, and we think about some of the places where we've missed the mark, and it becomes very difficult to lift our hands and our faces to the Lord and openly worship Him because it's, we know He knows it all. And here's the beautiful thing. He does know it all, and He loves you anyway. Isn't that good news? So here's, here's the first thought this morning. If you're going to live in forgiveness, if you're going to live in freedom, the freedom that Jesus paid for, you have to understand that God's grace is bigger than your sin. Rodney pre- uh, sang this song and preached my message a little bit, so did Karen before worship. Um, the songs, the song, the one of the lines said, sin was great, but your love was greater. And see, that's the beautiful picture. There's this, there's this incredible thing that happens when God's grace and his kindness pours on our lives. All of a sudden, when we, when we focus upon the Lord, whatever we were focused on before, when we take our eyes off that thing in the world and begin to put it on him, uh, another song says that this world begins to fade. It begins to lessen. It begins to, to take on its true picture. The, the, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that sin has caused you, all those things are tremendous, and some of them are really, really bad. Molestation and, and divorce and broken relationships and I mean, criminal activity, so many things, drugs, all the things that could come into our life and almost destroy us. And we look at that and go, God, could you forgive even that? And the Lord says, of course I can. And so here's the thing. I've been doing this for 30-something years in ministry. And what I watch so often is people live almost all of their lives as believers consumed by guilt and shame and condemnation. And what God's calling us to is he said, and Karen mentioned this scripture before, it is for freedom that he set you free. Now think about that for a second. Now that passage in Galatians is talking about, and it goes after the law, because so, so often what happens in the book of Galatians covers this, is we get saved, we get transformed, we come into the freedom of God, and we realize that he paid the price that I couldn't pay, and we get all that, and we come into it, and we're so grateful, and we're so thankful, and we begin to worship him, and we begin to love him, and then we sin again. You know, we, 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 we do something, we, we, we're like, well, I, I didn't know better on that one, but somewhere along the line, you did know better, and you chose it, and you chose sin. And, and we, we start messing with the theology and scripture, and we start, because our feelings say, God, God knows you did that, and you should be ashamed. And because the sin is so great, so often we are ashamed, and we're like, we don't even want to talk to God. And so we withdraw, and we isolate ourselves, and what we do is we begin to build a life into the law, trying to accomplish something that is going to make God love us. Can I just tell you, you are not going to do one single thing that's going to make God love you, because he already does. You're not going to do one single thing that's going to allow God to forgive you because he already has. Here's the beautiful thing. It's, it's free, but it's not automatic. We celebrate the, 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 patri, you know, the patriotic days that we celebrate in our calendar as, an, as a nation. We talk about this all the time, freedom is free, but it was never free. It costs somebody something. And that's the truth with Jesus. It costs him something. There's this beautiful scripture that, that goes after this in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we acknowledge that we are a sinner, 
right? There's a passage before and after that goes to the, to the very depths of it. It says, if you say that you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Like that is hardcore coming from John the Beloved. The, the love disciple wrote, if you say that you have no sin, you are an absolute liar and the truth is not in you. And so he's going after, he says, but if we confess our sins, the whole point behind that passage is you've got to acknowledge the truth of what God says. You cannot make a God of your own design. You cannot serve a God that you created. That's called idolatry. You can only serve the God that is true, who has revealed himself to you by way of his scripture. And these things, they were not done in in a vacuum. That's what scripture even talks about. This wasn't done in a shadow. This wasn't done in silence. This was openly exposed over thousands of years of Israel's history into the new covenant and thousands of years of, of of the new covenant and the church. Seeing what God has done, proof in the pudding. So we know that God... He says, if you confess your sins, he is, listen to this, he is faithful. That means he's going to do this every single time. And we're going to get to what he does here in a second. He is faithful and he is just. In other words, he is not violating anything. He is not violating his integrity by forgiving you. It's his plan and it's a perfect plan. And when you study it and you understand it, you get it. You see that God's been doing this. The whole story of the Old Testament is leading up to the culmination of that moment on the cross when Jesus gives his life away for your sin and my sin. And the Bible says on that day, it was the time that the lamb was being sacrificed in in the temple. It was a perfect culmination of a story that had been existing for thousands of years. The picture is this lamb is a symbol of what I'm about to do. And Jesus comes and on that day he dies. And when he dies, the Bible says darkness covers the land and then something happens in the temple. The curtain, this massive curtain that separated God's holy place where he lived with where you live and I live because we are broken in sin and we can't approach him. We can't come into his presence because if we did, our sin would literally kill us. And on that day, the Bible says that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, and it signified on purpose, not from the bottom up, that somehow anything we have ever done is going to make God love us, but that God himself came down in the form of a man and ripped the curtain that separated sinful man from a holy God. Why? Because Jesus, in that moment, took all of our sin upon himself. All of the sin passed from all of time, for everybody that had ever sinned, from Adam all the way up to the moment Jesus laid his life down, all the way through all of eternity to you and I and the future, and every sin that I ever committed and every sin I ever will committed on that day was removed all time, for all time, never to be spoken of against. Never to be spoken of against us again. God in his kindness said, you can't do it, but I will do it for you. Your sin may be great, but God's love is greater. I don't know if you had one of these when you were, when you were younger. I, I see a lot of us older people out here, so I'm sure you did. Uh, it's, it was called an Etch-A-Sketch, or what I like to call an Alabama iPad. <laughs> right? And so, I don't, know, I don't know if you ever tried to draw a circle. All I ever could do is draw, I could draw squares. You know, you see the pictures where they draw the Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa on an Etch-A-Sketch, and I'm like, I bet he started in the 80s and he just finished like 15 minutes ago. That's how hard it is, right? But the beautiful thing about an Etch-A-Sketch is if you screw it up, what do you do? Anybody know? You shake it. And you know what it does when it happens? It, it just absolutely wipes the slate clean and you can start again. And see, the Bible says his mercies are new 
Every single morning. How? How can that possibly be? He's like, Lord, don't you know what I, I've done? And the Lord's like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I know, actually. It turns out I know everything. All the, I'm everywhere all the time. I'm om- omnipresent. I'm, I'm everywhere. All the, I know everything you've ever done. I have seen you naked in the shower. Right? Some of you guys go, That's, I don't know if the Lord can get over that, right? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And let me go after this, especially for young people right now. And I know there's some people watching online. But here's what happens. This world comes after you with an identity. And so what happens is you begin to look at your life and say, you know what, Um, God has forgiven me, but I don't know that I can forgive myself because of the things I've done. They're so great. And let me just say this. This is what the Bible teaches, and I've said this for years and years and years. You are not what you did. You are not what you have done. You are not the sin that you committed. You are who God says you are. You don't get to define you. That's not within your scope. It's not within your power. You don't get to do that. Only God gets to do that. You know why? He made you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The scripture says in Psalms that I am the sheep of his pasture. I did not make myself. It is he who made me, not we ourselves. So you can do whatever you want to do. You can, try to, you can be so broken that you think you can't get back. And God says, you are never so broken that I can't restore what I made. And I don't make junk. That's in the Bible. You have to, it's a modern-day translation, but it's right there in there. But here's what happens. The enemy comes and he says, you know what you need to do? You need to personalize failure. So what does that look like? I am bad. I am unlovable. I am used goods. I'm a failure. I'm unworthy. But you are not what you did. You are not what you did. Why? Because sin is an event. It is never, ever, ever a person. And if you understand that the sin is an event and it's not a person, if you know that, then you'll, when you read 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is in the New Living Translation, listen to this. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ. Listen, it's free, but it's not automatic. There's a way that you can, you don't belong to Christ automatically. You have to make a decision to give yourself, to submit yourself to him. You have to repent, which means to take on a new mind and think differently about God. And you have to come and submit yourself to him and say, God, you are the God and I am the creation. You are the creator and I'm the creation. You have to come under his mission. You can't ask him to come under your mission because his mission is greater. And your mission will never include love in the way that God includes love. It goes on, it says, if anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a brand new person, the old life is what? Gone. But I remember it. doesn't matter. God looks at it and he says, nope, it's all gone. If you're in him, in Christ, it's gone. And it says a new life, the day you gave your life to Christ, a new life has begun. Let me, let me say this because this is important. There's a phrase that made its way into in modern theology that says, and it, and it sounds super humble, which, and it totally isn't, but it's, this is how the devil works. A little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie. And it's this phrase, man, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Every time somebody says to me, it's so important, I will offend them on purpose and say back to them, no, you're not. You have to pick one. You are either a sinner or you are saved by grace because those two things are absolutely incompatible. You cannot be a sinner and, a, and saved by grace. But let me help you understand this because this is where the nuance comes in and why people get, wrong, get it wrong. Can you be a Christian and sin? Yes. Christians sin. 
But when Christians sin, they don't revert back to being a sinner. And if you understand that, it begins to change the the whole onset of, of transformation in your life. Because all the enemy can do is lie to you and put you under guilt, shame, and condemnation and keep you from moving forward. And the only way he can do that is to lie to you about your identity. So maybe this morning you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're just kicking the tires on faith. Maybe you don't know God and you don't even know if God knows you. I don't know where you are on your spiritual walk or your journey. But I do know this. There's some good news and there's some bad news. I've been talking about the good news and I want to finish with some good news. The good news. But here's the bad news. If you are not in Christ, you are defined by your sin. I'm going to get to a scripture in just a minute, but let me just kind of give you a preview. And I preached this at a, at a funeral. I'm going to talk about it when I close. But here's what happens. The Bible says you were fornicators, you were idolaters, you were liars, you were homosexuals. And it has this beautiful phrase that says, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been set apart by what God did through Christ Jesus. Here's the picture. At one point, you were identified by your sin. James 2.10 says it this way. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, everything that God prescribed, and you do it all, right? Which you're not gonna, but maybe you say you have. It says, and yet stumble at just one point. Then you're guilty of breaking all of it. So you are either in Christ or you're out of Christ. There is no in-between. Like, it's kind of like being sort of pregnant. Anybody ever been sort of pregnant, right? You, you either is or you ain't with a baby. You know what I'm you, you, see, you're, you're not sort of saved. You're not sort of transformed. You're not sort of a Christian. There's no such thing. You can be an immature, broken Christian that's all kinds of messed up all the way throughout your entire walk with Jesus. And I know people like that, immature, broken people, uh, little babies that never grow up. And Paul spoke to that. He said, by now you ought to be teachers. And I'm having to teach you the same things over and over again because you just won't get it. You won't make a decision to believe God and trust him at his word. You have to make that choice. So you're either in or you're out. This is what the Bible says, just four simple scriptures. First Peter, peace comes to all of you who are in Christ. You don't have Christ, you're not going to have peace. I promise you that. Philippians 1.1, to all God's holy people who are in Christ. Listen to what he said, to all God's holy people. Do you think some of the Philippians maybe sinned once or twice, living in the, the world that they, you think maybe they screwed up? Maybe they looked at pornography. You know, do you know they, they wrestled naked back then? Like that's all kinds of dangerous for so many other reasons, especially if you're a guy, right? Don't do that. But they, they were caught up in such a broken, busted, ugly world, and you think it was bad here. It was worse then, I promise you. Go read some of the stories about some of those cities. Open, open sin that was just gross sin in ways you can't even imagine. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is condemnation for you if you're not in Christ. Because your sin has separated you so far from God. That's what the Bible says. It talks about our sin separating us from God. But Jesus' blood comes and he, what he does is he brings us back together. That's what Jesus' work on the cross actually did. And it's a finished work. That's what the Bible says. The last thing he says, it is finished. What? What was finished? The culmination of the ages. The promise of God that there's coming a Messiah that will pay for your sin. He'll pay it fully. It's been a symbol up until now that rolled your your judgment back. And So everybody, the Bible says, was under judgment until that moment that Jesus paid that price on the cross 
and then all of past and all of future, anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross to take your sins away and give you his righteousness, when you do that, you are saved and you are in Christ. But if you don't do that, it is not automatic. You can say, I believe it all, all day long. Words mean nothing if you don't act on what you actually believe. Colossians 3, 3 puts it this way, for you died. It's a picture, baptism. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're either in or you're out. So here's my story. Most of you guys know some of my story. I started out with a story about it. I grew up very, very moral because I'm a southerner. I was born in the north. Don't tell anybody I said that because nobody will talk to me after that. But I grew up in the south, and that's all I knew. And in the south, um, you say grace and you say ma'am, and if you're not into that, we'll cuss you out. That's the way that song goes if you haven't heard it, right? So it's morality, but not really. I'm like, it's, it's my version of morality, and that's part of the problem with the world. They think that moralism is the answer to get God to love you. So every other religion says, I will do right so that God will accept me. And Christianity says, you can't do right enough. It's not possible for you to do enough right. Because if you fault in one thing, if you miss it one time in your entire life, one thing you miss, you're guilty of it all. And that's the point. That God and God alone is perfect. And God and God alone is holy. And he can make you holy if he chooses to. And it turns out he chooses to. So I had a girlfriend when I was 17 years old, very outgoing. She died in a car wreck. And I remember like it was yesterday being at that funeral because the first time somebody close to me had passed away. And I walked up to the casket and I touched the body and it was cold. And this thought, I don't know where it came from. I'm sure it was something God, his, his kindness. This thought hit my head because I was thinking how outgoing she was and how such a full of life person. And when I touch her, she's so still. And I'm looking at her and I hear this thing in my head. That's her house and she doesn't live there anymore. And I'm like, that's profound. And I remember going home that night and laying on my pillow and crying and praying to God, to a God I didn't know but one who did know me. And I prayed and I said, God, if you're real, will you please show me who you are because I don't understand any of this and I'm confused and I'm broken and I'm hurting and I'm ashamed and my guilt-ridden and all the stuff that's happening if you're a 17-year-old kid, especially a boy, right? And God in his kindness, God in his kindness looked down on that prayer and he heard it. And over the next three years, God began to systematically open doors to begin to understand who he is through meeting Christians and, and, and ultimately going into the military. And my first boss at my first duty location was a strong believer. They even told me, they said, man, we're so sorry. that you, he, was, he was on leave when I came in. They said, we're so sorry you got Tom. He's so weird. And I was like, really? Man, that's my luck. I get the weird guy. And I hated Tom because he's such a good-looking man. Can I say that as a man? He was, he was like a Greek. I mean, he was a bodybuilder. He was blonde hair, blue eyes. I hated him immediately when I saw him. Like, I dislike him already. But he was so Christian, it's not even funny. It turns out his dad was an Assemblies of God pastor. He'd grown up, gone off the, the, the rails crazy-like and come back to Jesus and really understood. And, man, he was living and he had so much integrity, I hated him. There's a scripture that says, <laughs> Scripture that says that, that, that believers like that are life unto life and death unto death. And I didn't understand that until I looked back at Tom and I was like, I loved him because I could see honor and, and integrity and holiness and, and, and he was good looking. And then I hated him because all of that shined a light on my heart that I typically kept in the shadows. Because it just, it just created a contrast of how good he really was. Because he was living out the goodness of God in his life. 
And I looked it up in my own life, and I'm like, I cannot even compare. And I remember thinking back to that, that place, because he mentioned this about the gospel. He talked about it sometimes. And uh, I remember thinking when I was looking at, uh, at that first funeral, and, and I remember Tom said something along these lines. He said, Dave, everybody is going to live forever somewhere. And that resonated in me, because I know, I, you know that. There's something inside of you. You can talk about death all day long, and you know you're not going to die. You know it. You know your physical body is. But you know, you're like, that's not, I'm not dying. And that's true. And that's what God is after. God's after, I want to bring you life. And more abundantly, what the enemy wants to bring you is death. We know it's not just physical death, because that's going to come and go, and then everybody's going to live forever somewhere. So where? And we, and unfortunately, we make heaven about a place rather than making heaven about a, a, a father who lives in a place. That's what heaven is. Heaven is being connected again to a father who made you, who loved you, who made everything about you. Your identity is, it, he, it, your gifts and your strengths, all of the, your limitations, God put that in you before the foundation of time then. He saw you and he loved you and he wanted you to be and he made you a certain way and then the world comes in and tells you you're not skinny enough, you're not good looking enough, you're, you're, you, don't, you don't do enough. Something about you is wrong. If you're a woman, your hair is curly and it ought to be straight, or it's straight and it ought to be curly, right? (laughs) It's just, that's what happens. The enemy in the world is going, you are not, there's nothing good in you. And because you've sinned, you begin to take on that identity. And that's what we see in Scripture, and it's, it's, it's it's unfortunate. But the Bible says, to quote it again, the old life is gone. So here's my last point. If you're taking notes, write this down. You can't change your past. But God can change your future. You can't do anything about your past. Nothing. It's there. It is what it is. I, I have a scar on my arm somewhere. I have to find it now. Right here it is. I have a scar on, on my arm, and, and I wish it was like fighting ninjas. I wish I was, that was the story I could tell you that I was fighting. See, what happened was <laughs> I was fighting ninjas, and one of their swords got me right there. No, no. I was washing my car, and I was about 18 years old, washing my car with one of those high-pressure washers, and I tripped over my own feet because I was a boy with two big feet, and, and I put that high-pressure washer and sliced my arm, right, with a high-pressure washer. It was a clean cut. <laughs> right? So it was very clean. I didn't have to, no infection, never had that problem. It was very clean. And it hurt for a while before it healed up. But I look at it now, and now it's just an embarrassing story. Like, like I said, I'd rather it be ninjas, but it wasn't. <laughs> I can't change the way that, that happened. But it doesn't hurt anymore. It's a reminder that something tough happened. Like that was hard, right? But I can touch it. It doesn't cause any pain. There's no pain left. There's no pain anymore. And so that's what God is trying to do with us. And so take the pain and the heartache away. We think we have to wait till we get to heaven to do that. No, no, no. That's why Jesus came. So take that away. If you are bearing the guilt and the shame of your sin, why did Jesus die on the cross for you? It's called double jeopardy. If Jesus paid for it, why are you also paying for it, right? But here's how the trap comes, and we say, well, because I did this in my past, it's who I am. It's my identity, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Greg Rochelle, a preacher at Life Church, tells this story about his, at the time, six-year-old daughter. She had a little teddy bear she called Grandpa Bear. He said, I have no idea how she got the name Grandpa Bear, but that was his name. And in a move, we lost the bear. And she came, and she's crying. She says, Daddy, where's Grandpa Bear? And he says, I don't know. Your mama probably has it. 
Mama didn't have it. And they lost it. They looked everywhere, tried to find this bear, and they couldn't find it. He said, I remember sitting down with her and having to tell her, Honey, Grandpa Bear is gone, and he's never coming back. It's her favorite toy. It was security. It was all that, right? She she wanted it so badly, and he had to bring reality in the picture to a six-year-old daughter, probably one of the first times reality ever ever had to come to a six-year-old daughter. Grandpa Bear is gone, and he's never coming back. And we get pretty serious here for a second. Some of you guys have some Grandpa Bears, (laughs) right? Some of you guys, um, you went through a divorce. And you think, if I'd have prayed longer or harder, if I'd have done something different, if I'd only listened, I mean, you you can go back in any number of directions. Maybe you could have chosen. You think, I could have done something better. Maybe you could have. I don't know. But let me just tell you, Grandpa Bear's not coming back. I've seen... Divorced people get back together again. It's incredibly rare. It's beautiful. It's a redemption story when it happens. But let's be honest, Grandpa Bear is not coming back. Some of you guys maybe were hurt young, hurt by authority, maybe even molested by someone who was supposed to be the person who took care of you and who looked out for you and provided security for you and created safety for you. Some authority figure, whether it was a father, whether it was an uncle, a pastor, it happens. And it's, it's, it's destroying. It's something inside of it's not allowing you to have a relationship with a good man or a good woman. Someone who, who would love, who would never in a million years do something like that to you. But your past is holding on to you. And I just want to say to you, Grandpa Bear is dead. He's never coming back. What happened, happened. And, and I can't, it's a tragedy. And I wish it never happened to you, but we live in a fallen and a broken world. This is reality. Maybe some of you guys lost someone. Maybe you lost someone and you prayed. You said, God, if you're good, you would, you would heal them. You would, you would save them. We know people who lost a child, lost a baby, and I can't even imagine that. Karen and I have talked about her dad who lost his oldest son. Her older brother passed away before her dad is, and he made the remark at one point, no father, and she told him this, no father is supposed to outlive his son. It's not supposed to happen. And it's a tragedy. It's a heartache. And it breaks my heart to think about it. And it's hard to live with. But it happened. And it's not, it's not going away. That's your past. But it doesn't have to be. The heartache and the brokenness that comes from those tragedies do not have to be your future. Your past doesn't get to define you unless you let it. For some of you, again, you did something you shouldn't have done. Maybe you got pregnant. And maybe it was too soon. And you should, you know, and back then it was... The laws allowed way more than they're doing now. Thank God that's changing and going back to the states to decide what's happening with that. But maybe you had an abortion and maybe you think back and you're like, I, I realize what I actually did. I actually killed my baby. And maybe that sets heavy on you. I can't, as a man, I cannot, I cannot understand that kind of hurt and grief. I can't. But I just want to say to you that that tragedy what that happened, one, your baby, I believe, with all my heart, your baby is in heaven if that happened to you. But also know this, that God can redeem your past and change your future, but only if you allow him to do that. So here's the thing. You can't ever forget that every, every sinner has a past, but every saint has a future. See, if you look at, we talk about this all the time, that, that Karen talks about this when she's counseling with people. She says, if you know where I came from, you would hear me when I say to you this truth, because I also have a past. But that past 
never got to define my future. Carmen, some of you guys remember Carmen from the late 80s and the 90s. He wrote a song called Revival in the Land. And it's a, it's, if, you go, if you can, go back. One, it's just fun to look at the 80s again, right? And Carmen does this. It's a conversation between the devil and one of his chief lieutenants. And they're having a conversation about all the things that are going wrong. And eventually they talk about revival is happening in the land and the devil's losing his mind. So this is kind of the last part of it where Satan says, It's time to launch my final most vicious attack. I'll remind the saints of their past, how they were liars and cheaters and manipulators. And the demon says, but sir, you know what will happen if you remind the saints of their past? And what is that, Satan says? And the demon says, sir, they'll just remind you of your future. Revelations 20.10 says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever." And ever. The Bible says that hell was never created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. And it also says at the same time that the gates or the mouth of hell is widening to receive more people into it. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want to go there by himself. He wants to deceive. He can't stop God. You see the end of the story. He can't do anything about that. Karen mentioned that when she was talking. It's not like good and evil are equal. Those are other religions that talk about that. God is the creator. The devil is the created being too. And the enemy can't do anything. He, can't, he cannot take from you what God has said is yours. The only way he wins is if you believe the lie that he tells you about yourself. It's the only way. But here's the thing. You have to come at him with truth. Not your version of truth because there's no such thing. That's a reality check for every one of us. Truth is truth. Whether you like the truth, that's something you can have a discussion about. But truth doesn't change because you decide you want something not to be true. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Another place it says, Romans 8, 28, talking about our past and getting past it. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, if you love God and you're called and you're connected to him, then God will work out everything the enemy meant for harm. He'll make it work for good in your life. And I've seen that over 30-something years. I've seen the proof of that. Here's my last scripture. This is Philippians chapter 3, and I'll close with this. Paul's talking. This is a New Living Translation, a paraphrase of the Bible. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. In other words, I know I'm not perfect. I know I still miss it as a Christian. But listen to what he says. But I press on. I lean in and I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, there's something that I can obtain. I can get it from God. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Think about that, that Paul the apostle said, this one thing I'm focusing on, and it's this, forgetting the past. Let that sink in for a second. You think Paul had a past? He tells about his past. He killed Christians. He, he brought Christians to their death, and he thought he was doing God a favor when he did it. And he says, I have to forget that past. I'll never move on to what God's called me to. He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, there's something on the other side. There's something headed. They're headed in the right direction. We had this kid in, in uh, Tyler, Texas, he was a 14-year-old gang member, 
Turned out he was about to take the lead role in his gang. It was a Hispanic gang called the Nortinas in Tyler, Texas. And come out of Dallas and were invading that area. And, and he was about to take over the leadership of the gang because his older brother was the leader of the gang. And he was just in a drive-by. And he shot and killed an innocent bystander. And he went to prison. And he was going to be in prison for life. And here's this 14-year-old kid. Strong, powerful young man. He's about to take on the leadership of a gang. All kinds of brokenness in his life. And we reached out. We did an outreach in that city. And he came one night to that outreach and he gave his life to Jesus. And he began to, he began to transform. See, his life began to transform. He ended up, he dropped out of school. We ended up getting, him, getting his GED. He took his GED. And I had the a most amazing pleasure of taking that kid one day, kid, he was a young man at this time, and enrolling him in college courses for the first time. He was the first person in his family to ever go to college. And he ended up graduating college. And we moved away, lost track came back to Tyler, and he, he knew I was there. He got in touch with me. He said, can I buy you lunch? I'm like, of course, I'll take a free meal, any chance I get. <laughs> I went and sat down with him. We finished, had a great conversation. Turned out that he got, once he got plugged into a local church, he, he, he started dating the pastor's daughter, ended up getting married, and now he was an associate pastor at his father-in-law's church, and he was doing ministry, and things were amazing. He said, I want to take you somewhere after lunch. And he drove me, and we went to a little daycare center, and he walked in, and his little boy, he's about a two, two three-year-old little boy comes running up to him, jumps in his arms, and he throws him up in the air, and he turns around. Whew, talk about the highlight of ministry. He turns around, and he says, Dave, I want you to know, the joy this little boy brings me, would only, it can only be possible because you and Karen and your church loved me and saw something good in me and believed that Jesus could transform my life. And he goes, and I can't explain the joy I have in this little boy and the life that God has given me. I could never see that in a million years because that was my past. And there was something the enemy had for me, but there was something that Jesus had for me. And I've never forgotten that. And I never will. When we get to heaven, we're going to look back at, the, at what happened when his, when his family tree took that direction. And the redemption that came to his son and his son's sons and whoever comes to know Jesus because of that little boy. Because Karen and I, our heart, our lives had been transformed and changed. And we saw, we're like, we don't have to live in brokenness and sin. We can actually be healthy and whole. We didn't know how to do it. We had no idea. We were, our families were so dysfunctional and broken. We didn't know. We were on the verge of divorce after being married for a year. And we loved each other more than anything else in this world. Or so we thought. We loved our selfishness and our own brokenness more. And it was causing us to come to a place where we would no longer be married. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt we would not be married if it had not been for transform, transformation in our lives by what Jesus did to us. And we've been married over 30 years now. And most of it's good. <laughs> All of it's good on, from her side to me, but sometimes I'm an idiot and I have to find redemption for that. Here's the thing. I, I, can't, I look back over my life and I'm like, Lord, what a joy. And I got a whole lot more life to live to see people come to know Christ. I had the distinct privilege, if you don't know, Rodney's, uh, Rodney's stepping out, making some extra money, doing some gigs, different places. We went up to Corks and Cattle and Enterprise, and he did a couple of sets, and we got to eat a nice steak and listen to an amazing guy sing, and so it was really fun. But my highlight was last night, he played at a bar over by the hospital. And some of you guys are like, I don't know if I can hear him worship anymore. Even better worship, when he, you know he played at a bar one, one time. He played at a bar over there, and I went after, uh, closed the coffee house down and walked in. And he was finishing up a song, and he came out and took a break. And I got to sit there and talk to him and some of his family and some of his friends. 
And, they're, and he kept saying, this is my pastor. I'm like, hey, say it louder. Some drunks in the back didn't hear you say. I'm like, don't stop telling people I'm your pastor because they shut me down. They want to hear what I have to say. But it was exactly the opposite. He, t- he was like, this is my pastor. And they're like, is the pastor in a bar? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it turns out, you know, it's okay. And I'm like, I'm here to support my friend, and I love him, and he's amazing, and he's launching and trying to navigate what God's got for his life. And we're sitting there talking, and we're talking, I think it was their, their cousin or something, and they're like, they're just astounded. They're like, this is not anything I've ever seen about Jesus. And literally, I'm preaching the goodness of God, preaching Jesus in a bar last night before I get to come preach it in service. I know, right? And some of that's thanks to them and and them navigating what the Lord is doing in their life. But here's the thing. Rodney has a past too. Ask him. He'll tell you some stories. You won't believe them, (laughs) but he'll tell you some stories. But he is not who he was. And he's not yet going to be who he's going to be. He's still growing. I'm still growing. You're still growing. Isn't that beautiful? So here's the thing. In this scripture, you could not ask for more. Forgetting what is past. Listen to this. This is so amazing. It means to treat with thoughtless inattention. To willfully neglect your past. To leave behind intentionally. To banish from one's thoughts. To disregard on purpose. To cease remembering. And here's the beautiful thing. I mean, this is, this is what we have to do. To treat with thoughtless inattention the thing that is haunting you from your past. To willfully neglect the sordid past that the, de- the devil keeps bringing up about you. To leave behind intentionally the guilt and the shame of what you've done in the past. To banish from your thoughts every lie that you are what you did. And that's not who God says you are. To disregard on purpose the lie that you can't change. That you're always going to be like that. And finally, to cease remembering your past. To cease remembering your past sin because God has forgotten your past. We see this in 1 Corinthians, and I preached this at that funeral, my first funeral, and and I almost got killed for it. It says, "Do do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, it's identified by their sin. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You see that. They're defined by their sin. They don't know Christ, and they're defined by the sin. They didn't just commit adultery. They committed adultery until it became who they were. And listen to this. He's writing to a bunch of Christians. He says, and such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been sanctified or set apart for a holy purpose. You were justified, which means just as if you'd never sinned. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You were, but you are no longer. You are not what you did. You are who God says you are. And if you are in Christ, God says you are holy. You are set apart for a purpose. You are perfect in his eyes can you do better of course you can but now the motivation is you're driven by love you're driven by desire to fulfill the calling that God has on you to do good works in the earth why not because you're trying to earn God's favor trying to earn God's love but because he's already given it to you and like last night I could not wait to tell those people how good God was and how bad religion was because all they'd ever known was religion and maybe that's you Maybe you've known religion to the point where you don't even know your God. I just want to pray for you. If you're a believer this morning, I want to pray that you are set free from your past. 
that you can talk about it like I talk about that scar. It's an embarrassing story that maybe you don't want to tell everybody. <laughs> Make up a new story. I don't know. But you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Why? Because Jesus took your shame. The Bible says he hung on the cross naked on, on the main thoroughfare. Why? Because he took your shame so that you don't have to carry it. He took the guilt. He took the condemnation. And listen, the most important, he took separation from the God who was his father that he, all of eternity past he'd been with. And in a moment, in a moment, darkness covered the land and all of the sin of the world fell on him and he was separated from his father. The Bible says, but that's not the end. And in three days, he rose again. And when he did, he sealed and in the promise that if he could be raised from the dead, so can you. And that's what baptism is. It's identifying that Jesus went down into the, into the grave, and on the third day, he came alive again. All sin has been paid for. And if you've experienced that, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Dave, I'm struggling with some sin. Welcome to the club. If you're struggling, that means you know that you ought to be struggling, right? You're trying to get past your past. That's totally fine. I understand it. Stop doing it alone because you're ashamed and embarrassed and you can't allow God's people to come in and help you walk through it. Have a conversation with my wife. I promise you, she had a past and she's gotten past her past to the point where she can help you get past your past. Has, have that conversation with people who know Jesus who can tell you and they can encourage you and you can walk away from the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation that the enemy wants to put on your life. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Two things. If you're a believer, I want to pay pray that your, your past is broken off of you and that you live in freedom because it is for freedom that Jesus set you free. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you just, he's just a, a person in a storybook and you've never met him, our job, we can't make you come to know Christ. All we can do is introduce you as disciples go, here's Jesus. I've been following him for a long time. He's amazing. Here's the most incredible things about Jesus. Would you like to become a Jesus follower too? If you'd like to do that, man, you can do that right now. You can pray. I, my prayer was so simple. I said, Lord, I tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot. And he heard it because I meant it. I've done everything else. Eastern religion, mysticism, all that, all that kind of stuff. I've tried those religions. They never, never satisfied my soul. And the moment I met Christ, something happened inside of me and transformed me. So I want to pray for you if you're a believer, that you'd be free from your past. And the same thing's true if you're not a believer this morning, that you would give your life to Christ and you would take the gift of righteousness and give him all of your sin because you're going to live forever somewhere. So let's pray. So Jesus, I just pray for believers this morning that, Lord, whatever the enemy has tried to bring up about their past, Lord, that when that happens, they would simply do what Carmen told us to do, which is biblical, just remind him of his future, that you don't get to define me, that my sin, my brokenness, my past, everything that I did, no matter how hard or how tragic it was, it does not get to define me. Lord, you are the only one with the power to do that. And so I receive your definition of me, which is holy and righteous and set apart for good works that you created beforehand for me to walk in. And so I receive that, Lord. And I say yes, and I put away shame and guilt and condemnation, and I take on, Lord, confidence in you. Lord, knowing that nothing is going to take me away, nothing can take me out of, out of your hand, Lord. Nothing, no lie from the enemy can remove me from your presence. And Lord, this morning, if there's someone here who doesn't know you the way we know you, Lord, I pray that their heart would be broken because of their sin, that they would see that trying to live without you has brought an identity that is not true about who they are. They 
bought into the lie that the world has said they are, whatever that is, it's never, ever good enough, Lord, and they can never live up to it, and they feel that. Jesus, I pray this morning that they would make you the Lord of their life, that they would begin to follow you and find out just how good you are. And Lord, as soon as possible, maybe even today, lay their life down before you and say, Jesus, I give you my life and I take up yours. I give you all my sinfulness and my brokenness and my past. And Lord, I take up your holiness and your righteousness because it's a gift to me and I receive it from a gracious heart and a thankful heart. And Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, that's what our team is up here for. We would love to pray for you and join with you in your walk with Jesus. And if you don't need prayer, we love you guys. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. We'll see you next week.